As Eunice introduced me, my name is Rona, and um, I currently serve at SNU campus. So every Tuesday night when you guys are worshiping here, I'm at SNU. And um, it's so cool that I actually get to visit other campuses this semester. I got to visit Yonsei for the first time in like... Uh, since 2012, when I left to go plant SNU, and just seeing the way that God is moving across all the campuses is so special, and um, I am so blessed by this, like, church, and by Chris for opening up um, this, this, um, this house of God to us. I actually got to chill in this, like, room and, like, take a nap earlier today and pray. And um, and I can tell as soon as I walked in the room that the Spirit of the Lord is here. Like, there are people who have been, like, praying and, and uh, exalting Jesus in this room because I can feel the presence of God is very thick. And um, so we're really blessed to get to have this room. And I know that, I mean, if you've been around a KU, you guys have prayed for a room. You guys have, like, really contended. And so, um, yeah, it's something that I think we can take for granted easily, um, even though we just got the room. But I want us to continue to give thanks to the Lord and show our thankfulness to the pastors and leaders here. Because it's amazing um, that we get to worship here. Um, yeah, so actually, uh, I was having a really good time during worship today. Uh, Pastor David Ahn is a powerful worship leader, but but not just that. Um, you know, I have actually been having a lot of pretty bad back pain um, since Thursday. And as we were worshiping, um, I don't know which song it was, but I lifted up my hands and I felt like this warmth, like intense warmth, like all... Oh, I'm going to cry. Like all... <laughs> like all over my back and um like like the pain like significantly decreased and um it's been like constantly hurting since Thursday so it was amazing and um I was like not expecting it at all I've, <laughs> I've, I've like never felt anything like that before but it was really really powerful so uh thank you for leading us in worship David <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, okay. <clears throat> All right. Um, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Galatians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to start at, at verse 1. <clears throat> Thank you for those of you who've been praying for my back. <clears throat> All right. Galatians chapter 3. And I'm going to read it from the ESV. You guys can just follow along. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 3, starting with verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. 
All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Let's pray. Yeah, Father, I thank you so much for this day, and I thank you, God, that you would call us children, that you would call us your sons and your daughters. And God, I thank you for your living and active word, your word that pierces into our hearts, God, your word that aligns us, God, into your truth, your word, God, that leads us into light, into life, God. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you here tonight. We give you access to our hearts, God. We surrender our minds and our hearts to you. And we pray, God, that you will exalt yourself in all of our thoughts, in all of our emotions, in all of our being, God. Lord, we give ourselves to you in full surrender today. We exalt your name. And we pray, God, that that the word that you want to speak to us, may it May it be a milestone. May it be something that changes the way that we operate on the day-to-day, even after we leave this room, God. Father, I thank you. And we come before your word, God, with fear and with reverence and with thanksgiving today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Yeah, so uh, I woke up Thursday (laughs) to begin with. I woke up Thursday with a lot of pain, okay? So I have been going to seminary and... um, I've been creating this master plan schedule, all right? Because I knew how busy my schedule was, I, I, I have sectioned off every, like, 15 minutes of my life and so that I could have enough study time and sleep time and food prep time. You know, girls got a plan, so I, I really wanted to take care of myself this semester. And anyway, so I've been getting up at, like, 5.30 to 6 every day, and that works if the schedule works and I get to bed at, like, 11.00. But that hasn't been happening. So I've been getting very little sleep, especially during midterm season, which y'all know. I mean, I haven't, I've been doing college ministry since 2011, but I feel like I have a new empathy and grace now as I shepherd young people because I have midterms and finals the same time as you. And I'm like, oh, man, I can't believe I made them come to all this stuff whenever they had midterms. Anyway. It's intense, you know, and you don't sleep much, and you kind of go crazy when you don't get enough sleep. But um, I woke up Thursday, and you know when you, like, sleep in a, like, really funky position, and you wake up with a crick in your neck, right? And you're like, I can't move, I can't move. So eventually, like, throughout the day, you can stretch it, and then it, like, gets better, right? It just goes away. So I woke up, but it wasn't, like, a crick in my neck. It was, like, a crick in my entire back. And then I tried to get dressed, but I couldn't lift up my arms, like, past here. I couldn't look up or look down or to the sides. And I was like, man, I must have slept really weird on my back, you know. And then um, 
I was just thinking, you know, when I go to class, it's just going to go away, like, throughout the day. I'm from Arkansas. I'm a country girl, so we, we're kind of rough, and we just kind of suck it up, you know? So I, I just was like, it's, gonna, it's fine. And then, um, then I was sitting in my class, and I was, like, just trying to take notes, but I couldn't look down at my paper. And if I tried to look down, I, I would start crying because it hurt so bad. So I was like, I said, this is not a normal crick in the neck. So I decided to go to a chiropractor, went to the chiropractor, and um, basically he said, how did you not know that you have scoliosis, okay? And I was like, what? And then, you know, they do these checks whenever we're, like, in high school or whatever, and then they can tell if you have scoliosis. It's basically like when your spine is curved when it should be straight. And he just said, um, I'm so surprised that you've lived for 27 years. Now you guys know my age. Um, 27 years, and you haven't experienced intense back pain until now, you know? And he asked me about some lifestyle questions, and I'm like, oh, I'm pretty active. I, like, you know, until this year. This year I started seminary, and this year all I do is sit and study and, and all this stuff. And he said, that's why, like, because you're sitting, like, so much throughout the day, not sleeping enough, um, you're putting increased strain on your back. And sitting for extended periods of time and not enough exercise and rest is the worst thing you could do for a person with scoliosis. And so the pain I was experiencing was basically muscle spasms, okay? It's like there, because there's increased pressure because my back is not aligned, there's muscle spasms. So that's why I couldn't move, right? All this is, is a reason I'm telling you guys this, okay? I'm not, it's not just for the, the anatomy of the back, but... Um, and so, basically, he said, um, your active lifestyle kept it in a place of, you know, there's nothing wrong with you, you have no pain, but when you're sitting, when you're not taking care of yourself, when you're not getting enough rest, it's causing all this pressure. So he has to work out the muscle spasm, and then I can start exercising and moving around again. Anyway, the point is, I was very discouraged, and I went home, and I had to miss, um, you know, work for like a day and a half, and I had to miss church Sunday. It's like the second time in like five years I missed church, and, and I spent a lot of time laying on my back the last four or five days, okay? And um, while I was on my back, I, I was, I was, I didn't come with a good attitude. I, I'm not going to lie, okay? As much as I've been walking with the Lord, I'm your ED or whatever. I was, I had a bad attitude and I was really upset that this was happening. Um, and, and when I was there though, like apart from my bad attitude, um, God encountered me powerfully and was really speaking to me. And so what I'm going to share with you guys tonight is just some of the stuff that he was revealing to me in my, um, painful state on my back, okay? Um, so you guys know that when we're born, we have a sin nature, right? Adam, Eve, in the garden, they get the apple, they get the forbidden fruit, they choose the one thing that would allow them to break with that intimate covenant relationship with God. They went their own way, okay? They did not obey in love, but they chose to go independent from the Lord's um, sovereign will for them. And since then, all of man, all of humanity has been marked and plagued by this thing we call sin. Okay. We all know that. But what happens when we become believers is we get this revelation of 
the life of Christ that is offered to us, this perfect Savior who was crucified on the cross. And if we believe in him, we can exchange our sinful lives for his perfect life, and we can have everlasting life. We can have the Spirit of God in us. We can be with God forever. We know this. This is the gospel. But something, sometimes our experience of grace and freedom and life at salvation, it doesn't always naturally translate into our experience in the daily life. You know what I mean? We get this We get this epic high at a retreat. God speaks to us powerfully. We get a revelation of his love, his freedom, his grace. And we're like, man, I'll never be the same. But when we operate in our relationships, in our families, in our friends, in our classes, with our teachers, with our familiar leaders, when we go back into the daily life of Ronabab, you know, wake up at 6 a.m., go to class and sit for three hours and then do it again and then sit for more hours to study everything. You, you know, you're saved. My eternity is secure in God, right? But there are some things that don't translate into the lifestyle of a believer naturally. And, and we call this process sanctification, this process of continuing to allow God access into our hearts to align us to that place where we're living, where every part of our life is in line with the truth with the truth of the gospel, right? It's, it takes a lifetime, you know? Like when you're ironing a shirt that's hecka wrinkled, right? You didn't, you didn't put it up right away. You let it like just crumple on the floor or whatever. You didn't hang it up on your little hanger thing well. And then when you're ironing the shirt, you start at a corner and you, you smooth out all the wrinkles. That's what our life of faith is like. It's like the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit is wrinkling out all the, the discrepancies, all the things that don't come in line with the new life that we've been given in Christ, okay? And our job is not to, like, fix ourselves and feel bad, but our job is to let God do his thing. We're his children, so he's committed to that finished product in us, right? So um, what happened with me, though, as I was really um, meeting God throughout the last few days was that When we become believers, we get a revelation of God's love, his grace, this life in Christ. But when we go back into our lives, we start operating in this system and in this mindset of works again. Okay? And when when we do this for long enough, it puts us back into bondage, into slavery from what God has freed us from. All right? Um, I think there was this analogy of... of, uh, these, I don't know if I heard this in a sermon or read in a book, but there was um, this analogy of these quails or these birds that were chained up, okay? So you're a, you're a bird, you're, you're chained up, and basically they had to walk in a circle over and over and over and over again, okay? Marching in a circle over and over and over again. And then who said this? Who said this? Did you guys hear this recently? Oh, because this is perfect. It's so good. And then they're marching in a circle over and over again. But then what happens is someone who has, like, a big passion for animal rights, okay? We all know somebody like that. They're like, no! You know, quails deserve life, too! And then so they go, they unlock the bondage of the quails. They let the chains, you know, they, they unlock the chains or whatever. And then they, they say, you know, quails, you're free. The chains are gone. Salvation, okay? You're free! But the quails are just, they now are are marching in a circle, the same circle, 
over and over again as if they were chained. And so the animal rights activist is like, no, you're free. And so they, you know, shoo the quail, like, go be free. Do your quail life in freedom. And then, and then like, you know, no chains that can hinder you quail. And then, and then they scatter the quails, but then after they, they, they go a little while, they get in a circle again and they start marching as if they're in chains. And so even though they're technically free, they're still living as if they're in bondage, in chains to something, though the chains aren't there. And our job as believers is to let Holy Spirit reveal to us when we're living in bondage, when we're living in mindsets that keep us in chains when we're actually set free. Okay, so whenever we talk about this, I'm not saying that you need to be saved again. And so I know a lot of you guys have gotten saved 17 times in your life. Y'all went up to every salvation altar call and, you know, but let's just say this is not about that. You are free. You are given this new life when you have the gift of salvation. But this process is about learning how to walk out that freedom in your daily life. Okay. And one of the things that God was confronting me on was that I was a perfectionist, okay? And I know that sounds really like, oh my gosh, what a big deal, you know? But can you just bear with me, okay? Uh, it was a really big deal. Whenever, because like, you know, someone could say something to you all day, but when God says it, it gets real, real fast. And then you take it seriously. So, you know, my back pain, my inability to move, all these things, they were symptoms of a deeper problem of scoliosis, okay? The fact that my spine is not aligned. <clears throat> Similarly, there are symptoms to perfectionism. And there are symptoms that we can see if we're living by workspace righteousness or by faith, okay? And so these are some of the symptoms, if you guys want to take note. Your, number one, your life is filled with the statement, I should, Okay, there's a constant feeling of never doing enough and that you're always falling short. You are always trying harder. You're always reaching further, but you're never quite making it. Your life is full of I ought to, I should, I shouldn't, I wish I could have. And man, God was confronting me of this hardcore because when I took over this year, I've only been director for like half a year. Okay, I'm a noob, I'm still figuring out what I'm doing. And and I'm still overseeing SNU as a CD, and I'm going to seminary. I have five classes this semester. But what this is, ha- what has happened is my uh, my span of covering has increased exponentially. And now I've got my SNU staff who I'm committed to and love dearly. I have the three-year commitment staff who are going to be with me in the long haul that I want to shepherd on the, in the long term. Where are they going to be in three years? I need to, you know. And then I have the CDs who are my sisters, you know, and we got to go deep. We got to go deep. We got to go real deep, right? And then, then there's like my roommate, and then I've got torch classmates, they're amazing, but man, there's a lot happening at, at school. And then, you know, there's New Philly staff stuff and Shilliam stuff. And, and, and I feel like every single day, all I can think is, man, I should have spent more time with this person. I should have studied more. I made a 37 on this Hebrew quiz. I definitely should have studied more. Like, oh, I should have went to bed because I can't stay awake right now in this class. I should have, you know, called this person. I should have met this student one-on-one. I should have, I should have, I should have. And even it transferred to 
My Monday Sabbaths this semester, I've been guarding it so jealously because I know if I don't carve out that time, man, it's game over, right? So as soon as I approach the word on Monday, as soon as I come to God in prayer on Monday, all I think is I should have prayed more last week. I should have been in the word more than I have last week. When I'm doing the thing that I want to do, I'm thinking how I should have done it more. You know what I mean? And I was like, man, all I think about is what I should have done. And I don't want to not do what I'm supposed to do. And then, and I realized like God was just saying, this is not what I saved you for. This isn't what I saved you into, Rona. And it's like me walking around with the chains off me like that, like that bird, you know? Oh, I'm free. I'm saved to this new life. But let me still walk as if I'm a slave. Okay? So first symptom, your life is filled with a statement I should. Second system, symptom is that um, your life is filled with anxiety and guilt. What this looks like is... <coughs> You have an overly sensitive conscience. You live under a cloud of anxiety, guilt, and condemnation. You feel like you must apply every method, every sermon, every word given to your life, and you feel guilty sometimes for not feeling guilty. Okay? What I mean by this is, like, I, like at the last um, New Philly retreat, I went there, and there were some powerful altar calls, but I honestly... I didn't feel stirred to go up. I was in a pretty good place. Like, I'm not always in a good place, okay? But I was in a pretty good place at that point. And then I remember, like, it was the last session, and I was like, man, I didn't go for any of the altar calls. And then I felt really bad for not feeling guilty and not going up to a previous altar call. And I, you know, like, um, sometimes how we're, like, having a humble and hungry heart, like someone's preaching, and you're like, ah, oh, I want to learn from the word of God. Every time the word of God is preached, if you're sitting under the word of God, you should expect to be changed. Okay, I'm not saying, I'm not saying you shouldn't. But what I'm saying is sometimes we overdo it. And it's not the spirit of God revealing it. It's the spirit of condemnation. And everything that a pastor says, you're like, oh, I need that. Oh, I suck at that. And you don't even, like, who has a problem with this? And you, and you claim it. But you actually don't have a problem. And you're like looking in your heart for problems you don't even have, you know. And then you walk away and I'm like, I got set free from this. But I wasn't even struggling with that when I went into large group, you know. I got in bondage and then I got set free in the middle of large group. You weren't even struggling. And then you're always trying to, like, you're, you just have a guilty conscience. Like, every time someone says something in the word, they're like, oh, they're saying this because it's me. Because it's because it's me. I'm struggling with pride, you know, or whatever. You just claim all these things, okay? Symptoms of perfectionism, symptoms of workspace righteousness, overly sensitive conscience, conscious. What's, I don't know which one is, what, one of those, and, and your feelings of extreme guilt and anxiety, okay? Deep down, you feel that God disapproves of you, even though you know truth in your mind. You know that he approves of you because your life is hidden in Christ. But deep down, you still feel like you don't have the approval of God. If you really look into your heart, okay? Number third, number third, number third. Oh, Lord, help me. Okay. Number third, you are legalistic and people-pleasing. Third symptom, you are legalistic and people-pleasing. What this means is there's an overemphasis on external do's and don'ts, rules and appearances, okay? You want to appear polished and put together, 
and hold people to the same high standards you give to yourself. This also makes you a people pleaser. You don't feel God's approval. You can't accept yourself. So the need for approval has to be satisfied through other people. That means you're always adjusting yourself, changing yourself and your behavior so that others will approve of you. You never feel like you are quite approved anywhere, okay? Number four, you are angry or bitter. Fourth symptom, anger and bitterness. And this one, we don't admit easily at first, but deep down we are. We're either angry at someone, angry at something, or we're angry at God. Because when we live by the law, by the life of, I should have do, done this, I ought to do this, I could have done better, oh, I felt, I, I, I dropped the ball here. When we live under the law, a resentment naturally builds against it, okay? We were not meant to live like that, so we're going to always hate it. We're going to always get bitter and resent that feeling, okay? We're going to resent it. We're going to have a resentment against the church, maybe our leaders, and also God, okay? But the sad thing is our resentment isn't against the actual God of the Bible, okay? The God who created us for his good pleasure, for intimacy with us, the God who sent his son to lay down his life that we can enter into rest and and into fellowship with him, the God that is returning for his bride, who loves us, who wants to rule and reign with us and be our God forever. That God isn't the God we resent, okay? The God that we resent is this caricature of God that we've created in our minds. This God of works is never satisfied. He is always unreachable, unattainable, always saying not good enough and demanding more from from us. This comes from an improper alignment in our minds and in our beliefs about who God actually is. Deep down, A person with perfectionism, a person living under works, believes that there is nothing about them that God approves of, really, okay? And the last symptom, number five, your spiritual life is hecka dry. Everybody say hecka dry, okay? So one of my favorite analogies in the Bible is in Jeremiah uh, 2.13. It says, um, it talks about a cistern, okay? I don't know what a cistern really looks like. Some, some uh, Bible commentaries say it's like a toilet. Others say it's just like a pitcher for collecting water. And uh, I don't know, but just ima- I just imagine like a jug made of clay, and then it's got some cracks in it, okay? But Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water, Okay? Yeah, you want to say, just say it, cistern. Yeah, you feel, you feel better? You had to get it off your chest? Okay. Oh, oh, broken cistern, not sister. Okay, good. Thank you for pointing that out. Don't want to cause confusion here tonight, okay? (laughs) Broken sister. That's so funny. (laughs) Okay. Oh, I get distracted pretty easily. Okay, um. What this means is, you know, God, he is living water. He leads us to living water. He refreshes us with his living water by his Holy Spirit. But a cistern is something that man makes. A broken cistern is something that can't even hold water. And a cistern is usually something that rainwater collects into 
but it also mixes with muddy water, sewage water, whatever water, okay? And then people drink from that, okay? So God's saying, you've committed two sins. One, you've neglected me, your stream of living water. And two, you made broken, dirty cisterns for yourself to drink from, okay? What? Okay. Oh, oh man. Uh, I'm so convicted. The word of God. Okay. John 4. In John 4, Jesus calls a Samaritan woman to come to him. He says, come to me with thirst that I can give you water and you will never be thirsty again. If you drink from this water, there will be a spring of water welling up to eternal life from within you. Okay. He says, not only will I satisfy your thirst, but there's going to be a spring of living water that's in you forever and it's not going to run dry. The water of God refreshes us, cleans us, makes us fruitful. It brings us to repentance. It revives us when we're weary. It doesn't stop flowing. But we reject this fountain when we reject grace, when we do not abide in his word, and we make broken cisterns instead. Broken cisterns are equivalent to finding comfort in our service to God or our works rather than finding our boast in his grace and in the cross. Okay? So what happens if these are the symptoms, okay, if back pain and I can't move around is a symptom of scoliosis, a deeper problem, and these symptoms are, are leading also to a bigger problem, what is it? What is the result of perfectionism? What is the result of, of living in this workspace righteousness? It's a yoke of slavery. It's a yoke of bondage, Okay. From the passage we read earlier in verse 10, it says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. You remove yourself from the freedom that Christ bought for you and put yourself under a curse again. Everyone say, under a curse. curse. Everyone say, "Under under covenant. There is a big difference between the two. When you live by works, you live under the curse. And when you live by faith, you live under the covenant. Okay? So what do we need to do? What do we need to do about this? Okay? Maybe it's just my problem. Okay? What do I need to do? Maybe it it hits some of you guys, but what do we need to do from this place if we find ourselves slipping into this perfectionism, into this, man, I got to work harder. It's never enough. Okay? What do we have to do? In, in the passage we read from in Galatians 3, it says that, that you started off by faith, by belief, by grace, by believing in the power of the Holy Spirit in your salvation. You started off, why would you finish by works under the law? And this is what I'm talking about. By We got saved, we, got, we encountered the grace of God, the power of God at a retreat, but then we got to go to our daily life where it's hard, and it's hard. Okay, and we're busy. And, and so what happens is we've been conditioned our whole lives before we met Christ. Even after we met Christ, we've been conditioned. This is the way the world works too, okay? You want anything in your life, you got to work hard for it, okay? you got to prove your worth. you got to prove yourself worthy of love, okay? We've been conditioned, even in our own families. You know, I love it, Sally, when you do this. I love it when you bring A's home. Oh, that one B, I know if you work harder, you can get an A. You bring the A home. I'm sure they give A's to everybody these days, right? (laughs) 
It We've been conditioned our whole lives, our whole lives to think this way. I just got to work harder. I'm not going to be enough. I just got to reach further. I just got, I should do this. All right. And, and Paul says, you started in faith. You started in belief. Why are you finishing in works? It doesn't work like that. By grace, you've been saved, and God's going to bring it to completion. But you have to abide in that grace throughout the entirety of your Christian walk. The Galatians had this powerful experience at the beginning where the grace of Christ was made real to them. But as they began to live out their lives, through their conditioning, their mindsets, it was set to an alignment of workspace righteousness. They needed a reprogramming, a renewal of mind, and an alignment to not only begin in grace, but to continue on in grace and finish in grace. And we, like the Galatians, also need to ask the Holy Spirit to renew our minds daily, right? We don't want to serve and work hard for a false god, for a caricature of God that is not the real God of this word, okay? Because he's not impressed with our works. He's impressed by our faith. So I'm going to, like, this physical therapy thing, and this, <laughs> this like, really cute Asian man is aligning my back uh, because it's so off. And he's also, like, pointing out everything about how I do life wrong, okay? So I feel like I'm, like, like really stressed out when I walk in there because he's like, the way you walk, the way you sit, why are you sitting like that? The way that, how do you sleep? How do you sleep? You sleep on your side, don't you? And I'm like, ah, I do. I'm sorry. Like, I do sleep on my side. And then, and then he just said, like, everything. You're, he's like, the way that you live, the posture of your lifestyle is contributing to the fact that your back is so jacked up. Like, everything you do is wrong, okay? Your lifestyle needs to change for you to have any chance of having a better back. And, you know, honestly, like, he even was like, I was just sitting there, and I was like, thank God I'm done, you know, because <clears throat> it's really painful. And he, like, he like pushed, and then before I left, he pushed my chin in. Like, he pushed it in all the way to here, okay? <laughs> everybody, can everybody do this to make me feel better? I want to see, everyone, you do it. You're not too good looking to do it. I want to see yours. Put, put your chin in. Everyone do it. Everyone. Who's really secure here that I can... Okay, okay. All of you guys. But basically, it's so... He's like, he's like, you need to live your life with your chin like this. Because he said, I stick my... He said, I stick my neck out too far. And it's not good. And so he's like, you need to, you need to live like this. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. I don't care. I can't. Okay, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed seeing all... You guys just saw mine, but I saw all yours at one time, okay? Very attractive young people. Um... Anyway, just like my experience with the chiropractor, if you do not correct the little things that are off in your everyday life, just like my back, I have to correct my posture, the way I sit, the way I hold my chin, okay, the way I sleep. Um, if we don't commit to correcting our spiritual alignment, further down the road, it could lead to serious trouble, okay? When I go to the chiropractor, he works on my back to put it into proper alignment. And it is so painful. I cry and I get very discouraged. It makes me sad, okay? 
It got this far out of alignment because my lifestyle posture was bad, all right? If you know me very long, you know that I sit like, like, I twist my body all the time. And I like, I don't have good posture, okay? And so I know he's, I know he's right. But um, just like my back, we have to spiritually align ourselves on the daily. I have to make a conscious effort to have good posture and alignment. And we have to understand their spiritual alignment. A spiritual, physical therapy that we have to undergo. And it's a lifetime process. We, are, we align ourselves up to grace and to truth found in the living word of God. We let the Holy Spirit correct us when we are off. And it is the work of God initiated, brought forth by God. But we can actively participate in that work and make it a little bit easier for everyone. Okay? And it is not easy. Um, <coughs> But we have to allow the Holy Spirit access, okay? So what is our part in our spiritual alignment? What part do we play? Number one, it is an active surrender to the Holy Spirit. Your conversion experience, your moments of encountering a revelation of God's grace at the retreat, it doesn't automatically convert to your lifestyle. It takes active surrender. This is like muscle relaxer, okay? I have to take muscle relaxer now. And basically, um, my muscles are so knotted that he can't work out the spasm until my muscles are relaxed. And in a similar way, the human heart is bent towards sin, all of us, okay? If left to our own devices, we will go towards works. We will do anything other than move to God, okay? This is just how we work. We always will go that way. And we will always be defensive. And we will always say, yeah, there's a problem in everybody else, but not me. And then actually we believe that there's a problem in everything we do, you know? We will have our muscles knotted up and tight and it'll be very difficult for Holy Spirit to do his work unless we allow him access. It's like a muscle relaxer, okay? We ought to take that. And we have to ask God to give us discernment to know what is his voice and what is the voice of the accuser, the enemy, okay? So first is active surrender to the Holy Spirit. Second is daily realignment to grace and truth. A reconditioning, a reprogramming, a renewal of the mind. Sometimes this means revisiting painful memories, moments that conditioned you to think and act in this way, okay? Whether it be through friends, family, different experiences you had, it means revisiting it and saying, man, the reason I'm like this right now is because I was conditioned in this way. It's because of these things. And I'm not saying that so we can all blame everybody. Like, I'm so jacked up because I had such a hard life and, you know, whatever. No, 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 no. Christian, no. Okay, you have the power of the living God in you. It's not about passing blame, but it's about understanding why you are the way that you are. Okay, my back didn't get here overnight. It took a lifetime of bad posture and decisions. All right, so um, it it's a revisiting of those things to understand. And at one point, we began to really think, man, grace is too good to be true. And when I'm telling my non-believing friends and family members about grace and truth, it's so good. But when I look at my life, I'm like, man, where's that grace? Where's that grace in my life on the daily? Okay? And we start thinking it is too good to be true. And the truth is, it is too good, but it is true. All right? It takes a renewal of the mind. 
we grew up on conditional love, but God says you can come to me on only one condition, and that is by grace through faith in Jesus. Okay? Ephesians 2, 4 through 9 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up within up within and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one can boast you see perfect love casts out fear Fear has to do with punishment. And if we fear, we have not been perfected in the love of God. The more we focus on the should, ought to's, I should pray more, I should do this more, I should, I should be like this, I should, I should, we are still fearing. But when the focus changes to God, I want to love you better. Make me an expert at loving you with all of me. Give me the ability by the Holy Spirit to understand and, and conceive what is the length and the height and the width and the breadth of your love, God. Help me understand how it is that you love me the way that you love me. What does your love look like, God? When our focus changes, and it's a subtle change. You know, the enemy doesn't come and say, hey, like, you should smoke crack and, you know, jump off a building. Like, Okay, like he doesn't come with something drastic. He comes with things that seem like the truth, but it's off. You should pray more. You should feel bad that you said you were going to pray on cacao and then you didn't. You know, he comes with these, these accusations, right? <laughs> okay, I do that sometimes. I'm not going to lie. Okay, so then I, um, what was I say? He comes with these accusations that aren't necessarily completely wrong, but they're not truth either. And something can sound good without being truth. And you have to discern, is this just a good sounding thing or is this truth? We have to understand the difference between that. Okay? You see, God saved most of us when we weren't even looking for him in the midst of our transgression and sin. So what makes us think that he'll forsake us now? That his grace runs out on us now. That we are his children you know what I mean? We're his sons and daughters. He won't quit now. He's committed to us and committed to revealing the depth of his grace and love. Okay, our, the third part in our alignment that we can play is to fight the right battles. Many believers are fighting to live right outwardly to be faithful, but God wants our hearts. I'm in Hebrew class, okay, every Tuesday. I'm failing Hebrew class, okay? It's true. I'm not exaggerating. It's true. I've never failed a class. It's true. I'm a little traumatized. Okay. These are my note cards. And on my daily vocab, there is a word, and it says aman. Everyone say aman. aman. Okay. Aman, the definition, let me flip it over for you, is to be faithful or to believe. Okay. In Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament was written in, to be faithful and to believe is the same word. Okay? I know. So thank God for some redeeming factors of Hebrew. Okay? So the word aman means to be faithful. It also means to believe. 
in verse 6 of our Galatians passage, it says, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. What? He, he served you all his life. Okay? He prayed up a storm. He showed up early. He came to 6.15 at 6.05. All right? No, it didn't say that. It said that he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 7 says, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. When he calls you to be faithful, he is calling you to believe. Believe in his truth. Believe in him. Believe in his love. Believe in his, lo- in his word. To trust in who he is. To trust in his character. He looks at your belief, at your faith. And that is the one and only thing that pleases him. And he says, you are faithful. I credit it to you as righteousness. He doesn't look at our works. He looks at our faith. Okay? Now, this does not mean you should not pray, you should not read the Bible, and you should not listen to the voice of conviction by the Holy Spirit. This is a pastor, pastoral warning with this message. Okay? Um, it doesn't mean that, that you do whatever you want, whatever you feel like Holy Spirit, you know, there, it does also say in the word of God that you beat your body and you make it come under the submission of his truth. Okay. But what I'm saying is the compelling force behind our actions doesn't need to be outward in. It needs to be inward out. Okay. There's a difference when you're compelled by love and by a revelation of his love, or when you're compelled by works and fear of punishment. And God was speaking this to me so clearly um, as I was laying on my back the past four days. It was really supernatural. Um, I was really angry and discouraged, and God spoke to me from Psalm 23, and he said, My daughter, I am your shepherd. You shall not be in want. I make you lie down in green pastures. I lead you beside still waters. I will restore your soul. And I'm going to get vulnerable with you guys because I believe that this is something that we need to do regularly, okay? I'm a pastor. I do ministry, but this isn't something I allow Holy Spirit to do regularly. But I believe God is calling us to do that. Um, As I was laying on my back and just praying, crying out to God, and he spoke this to me, a memory of my childhood came up. And I was about, how much time do I have? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, almost done. So I was about seven or eight and, um, and I woke up because my dad, he went through the house like, Hey everybody, wake up, wake up, wake up. It was, I w- it was like 6am or something. And I was so cranky. And I remember saying, dad, like you woke us up for no reason. Why did you wake us up? We're just sitting around, you know? And he said, if you know my testimony, you guys know that my father was abusive. He was alcoholic. And, um, he said, you want a reason? I'll give you a reason. And then he wrote a really long list of things for me to do. And he said, you better finish it by the end of the day or I'm going to beat you. Right? And I looked at the list and it was like an impossibly long list. And um, so I started working. And 
I'm a very stubborn and strong-willed individual, so I wanted to prove to him that I could do it, okay? And so I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and about 6 p.m., I ended up at my grandma's house because he wanted me to ask her if I could, like, help pull weeds or something. So I got there, and she was immediately very concerned, and she said, is something wrong? And something was very wrong uh, because I had severe asthma when I was a child. So every week almost for about two or three years, they had to rush me to the emergency room because I was having asthma attacks. So I couldn't breathe, which means I had to take medication daily around food. And it also meant I had to do um, pretty long breathing treatments every day. And this day I hadn't eaten from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. I hadn't eaten all day. So that meant I couldn't take my asthma medication, which means I showed up at her door wheezing and coughing and like having an asthma attack. And so she called my dad and said, you know, do you know that Rona is like having an asthma attack? Do you know she hasn't taken her medicine? You know she hasn't eaten all day? And he said, oh, I forgot, you know. And she fed me and then she told me to go home. But I just remember so, like, I was paralyzed with fear on my way home with every step. My grandma lived next door because I knew I didn't finish the list that he gave me. And I knew if I come home and this list isn't finished, I don't know what's going to happen to me. And I was so afraid that I would show that to him. And these experiences, guys, they condition us. And I know not everybody had the same upbringing as me. That's pretty extreme. But little subtle things as well, okay? Things that have happened to us, things that, that we've encountered throughout our lives, they condition us to think a certain way. You can imagine how I can translate an experience like that throughout my whole childhood, and how I will project it onto my relationship with God and my service to him, right? I better, I better do a good job. I better, not, I better not not finish the list given to me. I better not. I better not because, you know, but that is not the real God. And God was like showing me like, Rona, worship me. Love me. Look to me, not to some other God that's not real, okay? My heart as I was laying with a broken back, my heart began to break because I began to realize that I had painted an inaccurate picture of God the Father. Realignment is painful, but it is necessary if we want to go the long run. I know all of us enjoy how high and how awesome and how that feeling and that being pumped up at the retreat and worship, but I am concerned about when you leave here and what you will look like five years down the road and what you will look like when you're a mom and a dad, you know? And I think, about, I think about so many stories of young people who are running so hard for God, and then, and then it just doesn't work out. And at some point, they run dry, or they get bitter, or they get angry, or they start blaming God, and their hearts turn from him. Why does that happen? Does it mean they're not saved? Does it mean that those experiences weren't real? No, it means something wasn't in alignment. And, and it, the little subtle things that we don't keep under check, and we don't let the Holy Spirit work out into proper alignment in us down the road will be severe problems, okay? And I want you guys to run far. I want you guys to thrive and be whole in the long run. And that's why I want us to be open to Holy Spirit doing this in our lives. You see, that feeling of never living up to the standard, never measuring up, never doing enough or being good enough, that is the result of shame. And it's the result of the curse of sin that began with Adam, and it continues on in each of us today. But like we read earlier, Christ has made another way for us. 
Paul says in verse 3, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you have heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law and becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that by faith, we might receive the promise of the spirit. Isaiah 53. um, It's a very well-known passage. Starting with verse Two, it says, For Jesus, for he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne. Our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There is nothing that we can experience or feel go through in this life that has not been felt and experienced by Christ. It says that he was stricken for our iniquities. It says that he carried our grief and our sorrow in his body. He carried all of it. And because of what he has done on the cross, we can exchange that life for his life. But it happens every single day. And it happens in every area of our life. The Lord spoke to me, Rona, I am not a hard man. I'm not your father. I'm not going to work you hard. I'm not going to forget to feed and take care of you. I want you to enter into my rest. I want to strengthen you. You are not worth less to me lying on the floor than when you are preaching or evangelizing or serving. Oh, oh man, it killed me, okay? And you are not worth less to me because you have a really bad attitude right now. I heard that also from the Spirit of the Lord. You are not worth less to me when you're lying on the floor broken than when you're serving in high capacities, when you're bringing people to Christ. Our worth and our value in him does not waver like it does with man. Our acceptance and our approval, the love that he has for us, it does not, is not based on conditioning, on strings. It is unending. We can't get any more of it or any less of it based on what we do. All right? And so I want us to spend a little time in prayer tonight.